the Finley Toyota studio, it's Coalfield and Company with Jonathan Von Tobel and Adam Candy on ESPN Las Vegas. You made it. Five o'clock. Hit the whistle. Hit the road. Get home to the family. Of course, it's COVID era, so you probably didn't have to leave the house in the first place and you're listening to us from the same spot that you started listening to the show three hours ago because i know you've been with us the whole time no steve cofield today adam candy jonathan von tobel company takeover of cofield and company with ari back at the finley toyota studios keep your ears to the radio this hour we have a vgk prize pack to give away i will let you know when is the time to call in and become our lucky winner. We'll be looking for caller seven. Not quite yet. That's why I'm not giving you a phone number. Let's get into the big five. One, two, three, four, five. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the big five at five. Number five. Ari is so excited to have a little 10 crack commandments there at the top of the big five. I'm not sure I've seen Ari that excited since he learned the best way to open a banana 20 minutes ago. It was amazing. Uh, John, did you catch the biggest TV event of the weekends? And no, I'm not talking about the NBA All-Star Game. Uh, so I, I didn't necessarily catch it. I know what it is, and I saw clips of it, but I did mm-hmm. not like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I got to sit down and check so, out these super rich people talking in the middle of a garden together. Okay. Now, there might have been a lot of different rich people talking in gardens, so I want to make clear to everybody that we are talking about the the Harry and Meghan interview with Oprah. Um after multiple days of hype for this since it aired, I am 0% more interested in it than I was when it ran over the weekend. But this was appointment television for some people. Like, this was the single biggest thing going on in their weekend. And it, it made me think back to, I think it was, there was a royal wedding. I don't know how long ago it was. Let's say 10 years just because that sounds good. Um, and my ex and my mother both got up at like three in the morning to watch live coverage from the UK of a wedding. Um, Because as we know, there is not a lot of wedding content to be consumed on TV or internet or or any other channels, right? This is rare content. You have to get up in the middle of the night to be able to see it. Um, But I was having this conversation with the SO saying, what is the male equivalent of this Harry and Meghan interview with Oprah. I couldn't quite understand, like, what would get guys excited in the way that this did for for the ladies? Because it seemed like it was, in general, the ladies who were much more excited about this. So um, taking out the context of the potential terrible racism that, you know, they suffered because of their mixed, you know, child, I I would say that just eyes to televisions, it's obviously the decision, right? Mm, oh that and you know what that actually brings in a little bit of the reality tv element too right right like i don't i'm not sure that the garden interview would have worked quite as well um you know in a in a ymca somewhere in akron um but you know uh it seems like just like get like everybody needs to tune in to watch these two talks specifically the subject of the interview this guy, we want to hear what he has to say. I, I would have I would have woken up at three a.m. for the decision. And and to add to that, something that if you tried to explain to your wife why you were getting up at three in the morning, if you tried to say, "Well, it's the decision," and she's like, "The decision for what? Like, what what decision are we making?" 
like if she didn't already know that you were the NBA nerd that you are, like right. how would you explain this? The greatest basketball player of all time is going to decide where he's going to play next after leaving his hometown. Let's go. Get with the program or get out of my house. Okay. And, and, and I'm hoping that's not actually what was said. <laughs> no, because the, at the time of the decision, I was, I think, just out of high school. What year was that? I didn't know my wife is the point. Okay, cool. I hate you. Number four. Number four. Uh, you like 50? National. Then? Excuse me? Were you like 50? I hate you more. Uh, <laughs> speaking of the National Basketball Association, um, and of course, terrible racism, as JVT mentioned, because that was one of the undertones of the Harry and Meghan interview with Oprah. Um, the NBA, we did not expect to have an NBA uh, online gaming racism crossover, but uh, we have one. As uh, JVT, you want to take this one because. Our Myers Leonard, I believe, has been on the injured list for quite a while here for for the Heat, has yeah. he not? Yeah, he he's been a non-factor for Miami, and and he, you know, look from what I understand, he's a relatively popular streamer, uh, streams all the time, and, and has built up quite a following, whether it's on Twitch or whatever, and uh, plays Call of Duty, and he was playing it again again here because uh, he's got nothing going on, um, even when the season's underway, he's got nothing going on, and so during a stream, he let a racial slur fly. Somebody had killed him on the game, and he decided to call them an effing, uh, we won't say the word, obviously, but it's a racial slur for, it's an anti-Semitic term. And the shocking part about it is when you listen and watch the clip, as people have said, he kind of loads the term up in his brain. He calls him an effing... And he thinks about it for like a good three or four seconds before he fires off the anti-Semitic term, which, of course, is immediately pulled. People spread it around the Internet. Everybody sees it. And he is now caught. Miami Heat have already released him. They're already done with this guy. It's all over with. But he has since come out and apologized, of course, saying, quote, from his Instagram, I am deeply sorry for using an anti-Semitic slur during a live stream yesterday. All right, this is good. This is where we go off the rails. One sentence in, we're already off the rails. While I didn't know what the word meant at the time, my ignorance about its history and how offensive it is to the Jewish community is absolutely not an excuse, and I was wrong. I am not laughing at the use of the word. I am laughing at the moronic statement that you dare think that we think you wouldn't know what that word meant. You know what the word meant. And if you and this is Adam, this has always been my issue with things like this, okay? Because you and I had this discussion off the air. I will be very forthright. I, in my youth, used the F word when it came to a homophobic slur. My intent and the way that I had defined it as a child was somebody who was just dumb, someone I didn't like, someone I just didn't think was cool, whatever it was. That doesn't take away the history of the word. And when I get older, I learned, hey, you can't use that even if your intent's really not what it originally was meant for with that disgusting word, right? To claim, though, that me as a seven-year-old who knew what that word meant, eight, nine, ten, right? To claim now as an adult, given the history of our world, that you don't know what that word meant until yesterday? Get the bleep out of here. You knew what it meant. You used it because you were with the boys and you're playing games. Just admit you knew what it meant. 
you didn't intend to use it the way it was originally intended and you shouldn't have done it and you apologize but to try to pull this over like i had no idea what it meant i'm so sorry shut the hell up it's ridiculous it's as though guys who get into this situation think there are levels to it that somehow they can make it so that it's not as bad it's a banana it's not as bad if you say well i i didn't understand as though you're going to engender some level of sympathy for that when we just talked about earlier in the show that the idea of intent with racism does not matter does not matter whether it's racism whether it's homophobia whether it's sexism misogyny whatever you're talking about saying i didn't know first of all as you just said john is garbage right because that word that he used which begins with a k and we will not go the rest of the way frankly we had audio of this and i was so worried about running any portion of it that i thought no we're just going to skip this entirely um that word is not a word that just casually enters your lexicon that is a word that you know for a reason and to try to convince anybody otherwise is insulting to our intelligence so don't think there are levels to this don't think there are levels to being racist or misogynist or homophobic just own it own that it happened be better the next time but don't try to convince us there was a reason because coming to the back of that sentence and saying well i was just wrong no no you already qualified it at the front by saying while i didn't know who is it that feels better about that is it the people you offended it, because the people you offended there's no chance they feel better because you say well i didn't really know about it you want to go make good on it later you want to be someone like michael vick who wants to live a different life in terms of how you treat animals after you kill dogs right. i'm not saying i'm going to forgive you but you're showing by example that you at least are trying to do the right thing this is not doing the right thing number three number three strong let's just be honest that there's no natural transition from that particular story to any other story that we were going to do today uh john you sent this one along um i, I really can't believe we're talking about these three terms together and i'm gonna let you take it from here but jake paul mercedes-benz stadium pay-per-view by the way this is my favorite lead ever the highly anticipated boxing match between Jake Paul and UFC veteran Ben Askren will take place at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta on April 17th. So, look, in the world of COVID, and I'm not familiar with all of the rules around our country. I don't know if Jake Paul and Ben Askren are selling out Mercedes-Benz Stadium for a boxing match. It seems like a very odd venue for it. But what got me was not so much the venue, it was the fact that the pay-per-view price has been unveiled. $49.99 on pay-per-view. What? $49.99. Get out of here. You could I look, this phrase has been used a lot in our in our world, and I don't think it's used properly. I'm gonna use it properly now. You would not catch me dead watching this fight, bro. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. And people are going to pay. And I, the second these started happening, I said this at this. What, what was the first ridiculous boxing match? Whatever it was, I was like, they're going to start with like a $15, $20 pay-per-view and they're going to get you. And they're going to start to up these in a little bit more, a little bit more. And people are going to be like, it's not 20 bucks. It's only 30 bucks. It's only, it's 50 bucks now. This is, And it's going to be filled with YouTubers and weirdos that we don't know. Look, if this is your thing, that's fine. 
but I have no idea what is attractive about something like this. If you you could get me, you could get me a ten maybe, but fifty bucks, twenty with twenty dollars less than what I pay for a MMA card to watch a YouTuber and, a, and an MMA vet box. Get out of here. That's what I was just going to ask you because you're the UFC guy more than I am. How much was the Adesanya fight? Uh, sixty four ninety nine, if I remember correctly. Okay, so this is a headline card in the UFC for which people pay $65 for multiple fights. And you think that we're going to pay you $50 to watch a YouTuber box in Mercedes-Benz Stadium or, bo I don't know, box or MMA. I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't care how they're going to do it. It's insane. And, and look, it's a four-hour card. Right, so you get more. Oh, than just, oh my like, opinion has changed. Yeah, right, but like, it's not like, yeah, right. Like, who am I going to watch? Like, that's terrible. But like, the point is kind of like what you're talking about. Like, when we're talking about buying this, think about that too for the UFC. By the way, uh, not only is it the price, but you also have to have a monthly subscription, ESPN Plus, which is, they're just fleecing us at this point right now. But like a four-hour card of of who? Like, what am I watching? You're paying fifty bucks for this, and like, and I, I don't know. I haven't looked this up yet. And Adam, maybe you can speak to this if it's officially sanctioned yet or not. Like, in terms of betting, like, can I even officially fire on this in some spots as well? Like, that's the other part. Like, that's – I don't even know. Not that I'm aware of uh, at this point, and frankly, God willing, I will not be aware of it. Number two. On to happier thoughts. And there's nothing happier to think about in Las Vegas for sports fans than Marc-Andre Fleury. He might play a sport on the ice, but he is the warm blanket that all Las Vegas fans like to feel wrapped around them come 7 o'clock at night when they get to watch the Golden Knights play. And they were all very disturbed, very mad in the offseason when the idea of trading Marc-Andre Fleury seemed like a foregone conclusion for the Golden Knights. Of course, that did not happen. There are some informal reports of Bill Foley promising Marc-Andre Fleury that he would retire a Golden Knight at this point after they couldn't find a partner for a trade at $7 million. And guess what? It's actually looked really good. The circumstances have made George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon look like geniuses. Robin Lanner has been hurt all year. Marc-Andre Fleury was playing better than him in the first place. He is probably the number two candidate for the Vezina Trophy as the best goaltender in the league this year behind Andre Vasilevsky from the Tampa Bay Lightning. And how about a little origin story, John? A little, uh, little, little go back to the beginning here with Marc-Andre Fleury, who, of course, was acquired in the expansion draft. Jim Rutherford, the former GM of the Penguins, who, of course, the former franchise of Marc-Andre Fleury, was on the Cam and Strick podcast talking about Marc-Andre Fleury. And so we got to hear a little bit of how he actually got to Las Vegas. Uh, Jim Rutherford said, I knew he had lots, lots left in him, speaking of Fleury. In Flurry's case, when he knew that he was the odd man out, he came and met with me and said, if there's any way you can get me to Las Vegas, that's where I'd like to go. So I made sure I made that happen. I felt like I owed that to him. John, I didn't think the love affair with Marc-Andre Flurry in Las Vegas could have gotten any bigger, but this might be the story that could do it. You believe this story? I'm not telling you I believe it or not. I'm just saying when this story gets heard, Vegas fans are going to say, oh, my God, not only was he the odd man out, but when he was the odd man out, this is where he wanted to be. I couldn't love him any more than I do. No, I don't know. It feels like sell more of, jerseys. Feels like uh, kind of selfish. You know what I mean? 
Give me, send me to the team that I know I'll be a star. Send me to the team where I know I'll be the focal point. Send me to where I can regain my glory. Not so much maybe be a solid role player and contribute. No, <laughs> was that is that good enough? Was that ruining it enough? Look, I don't know. I think you. I think you ruined it. The only way you could ruin it more was if you like if you took a picture of the average Las Vegas hockey fan with a sword stabbed right. through their back right. with the word flurry written on it. That's how you could have killed the whole thing more. Okay, it's cool. Number one. By the way, can I also just say very quickly, um, nobody can see what we're looking at, but when you were setting up the bit, the panic on Ari's face of, oh my God, did I forget to pull an audio clip? What's happening? As soon as I said the word podcast. Right. Cameron Strick podcast. Uh, Oh no. No, I... Listen, I, I, if it'll make you feel better, Ari, I can I can bring you back home and yell at you on the break. Okay. Number one. Fine. Good enough. Uh, big story of the day, of course, is not only the moves of the Las Vegas Raiders who have traded Trent Brown to the Patriots, who have released LaMarcus Joyner and Richie Incognito, but of course the franchise tags all across the NFL uh, Marcus May gets tagged by the Jets. Poor Allen Robinson. Oh, Allen Robinson. He was this close to finally going into free agency and finding a reasonable quarterback, John. And the Chicago Bears have doomed him to another year of Mitchell Trubisky and or Nick Foles. Um, tough times in the NFL. Tough times for Raiders fans who might have been dreaming of bringing in Allen Robinson as a number one receiver. So, John, when you see all the cuts that happened here today and the ones that we've heard rumored over the last couple of days, what do you think is the state of the Raiders here on March 9th as they head toward free agency in the draft? I mean, I think they're kind of the same team that they were like going into the offseason, right? Like you look, offensive line, it, it sucks. And I think a lot of people are like glomming onto the fact that, oh my God, three out of the five starters on opening day uh, are not going to be on this team along the offensive line. Um, look, offensive line is something that can be kind of shuffled and maintained. Right. And especially when you're approaching it from the offseason, you can go and grab some guys. We've seen teams like the Buffalo Bills rebuild offensive lines in an offseason. So I think that's going to be perfectly fine. And then you look at the defensive end and you're like, yeah, we're pretty much where we were. So I think this is a team that was uh, below 500 that blew a very big, like very solid record in the second half. But I think this is kind of a team where, again, they're just right where they were. And you can, they are also, though, Adam, what I think this means. Their mobility is is very fluid. They could be a lot worse pretty easily with the wrong decisions, and I think they could be a lot better with the right decisions as well from where they're standing. And last offseason, when they spent on the defense with the cap space that they had, I wasn't wholly convinced that those were the right moves at the time because linebacker has been shown repeatedly to be one of the least valuable positions on the defense. They went and got Corey Littleton. They got Nick Kwiatkowski. And to Kwiatkowski's credit, in the times that he was healthy, he did look decent for the Raiders. They go and get Malik Collins, who was a disaster for the team for the bulk of the season. Uh, Gus Bradley, the new defensive coordinator, talked a little bit about the state of the Raiders' defense, where we expect that a lot of their free agent money will be spent. Uh, Ari, why don't we fire the first one? 
It's an exciting time. I mean, to be with a lot of the people that you know, Coach Gruden and then a lot of members of the staff, and then they're able to bring some of our staff members that were uh, affiliated with us with the Chargers. So it's been a, an easier transition. I guess it's never easy, but uh, you know, it's gonna come quick now once we get to April. And we don't really know, of course, what to expect here from the Raiders defense yet. We know that John Gruden says he wants to stick with a 4-3 scheme. He likes his big guys up front. That's part of the reason he brought in Gus Bradley. And Bradley talked a little bit more about the scheme fit of the guys who will come. We all know what we're after, right? I mean, we all have that that vision of what we're all shooting for, and we really got our vision on it. And we're not going to deny that. I mean, that's very important to us. It's very important to our fans in this organization. So we hold that really true to our heart, and we know that's the big picture that we're going after. So what should the Raiders have their eyes on, John? What is the, the fit that Gus Bradley is talking about? I mean, it's either corner or edge rusher. It's one of the two. Right. Especially when you look at Gus Bradley and what we know about his scheme, uh, where it helps to have pressure up front, which he had, and especially when he was at his peak as a defensive coordinator. Uh, you have corners who can execute, especially if safety as well. You need a safety big time, especially in that scheme, right? That cover three scheme that works so well with the Legion of Boom. I mean, I, I would emphasize probably safety play. And I get it. You have a young safety that potentially can, I don't know, be the guy in the box, but we've seen that Abram is a little wild when it comes to his playing coverage. They don't really have an edge rusher at, at all. And I think those are the two that you really need to focus on if you're going to actually execute the scheme the way we have seen it in the past. Jonathan Abram was rated pro football focus worst safety out of 67 in terms of overall grade last year. So yes, I agree that an upgrade is needed. Uh, Bradley didn't talk about just the on-field fit, though. He talked about what he wants in terms of the character of these guys. Hopefully it's a team that when we're all done, you know, that it is a fast, physical team that gets the ball out, that's aggressive on the perimeters. You know, that type of mindset, that's an effort-based defense. You know, and I think if that's when someone comes into our building, our stadium, and that's the way they're talking about us, Uh then you know we're we're starting to head in the right direction. John, um, coaches throw out coach speak, but maybe you can help me interpret this one. What exactly is an effort-based defense? Every single defense ever made, <laughs> right? <laughs> it because the opposite. What's the opposite of no effort defense? Right, an effort based defense. Yeah, yeah he got caught up in the coach people. Look, can I ask? Like, look, let me. This might go relatively poorly. If I were to ask you, give me like three defenses in the NFL that have some really solid young talent at all three positions. What would be some teams that come to mind? Uh, what's the definition of young? Just guys who are not like long-term veterans? Yeah, yeah. Within their first five years, some cool, some solid cornerstone. Oh, yeah. I, I think the, the first, the easiest number one is Pittsburgh. Um, okay. You, you, you look at Pittsburgh with, with what they have up front, starting with TJ Watt. You look at the second level that they have. Those guys got hurt last year uh, with Bush getting injured. And then you look at the back with Minka Fitzpatrick, who's one of the best safeties in the NFL. So I guess if you were to say to me, what's an example of a team with young talent, I would probably start there. Right, you you take the next one. Would the Chargers be one? Oh, very well done. Very well done. Yes, I would say the Chargers are definitely one of those. Didn't the Chargers finish in the bottom half of the league last year in defensive efficiency? I believe they did. In fact, I believe that uh, they were in the bottom 10 of the league. Weren't the Chargers one of the worst rush defenses in the National Football League last year? 
I'm starting to feel like you don't think they were effort based. I'm just saying, like, this is one of the worries that I had when I saw the the acquisition, right? The addition was, I think if we were to put together a list of one of the more disappointing units that we have seen over the last few years, I think the Los Angeles Chargers defense would be front and center on that list. Whether you want to rank them number one or not, that's fine. But the execution didn't really seem to be there. And, uh, well, maybe it's not the former defensive coordinator's fault, but it's somebody's fault. On the other side, the Mountain West Tournament is coming. What has to happen for UNLV to have some success? A few minutes, we're going to talk to our buddy, Coach Joe Esposito. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Just hearing that music gets me excited. That is the music, if you don't know, of the NHL on ESPN. Goldfield and Company here on your Tuesday afternoon. Adam Candy, John Von Tobel. John, would you have known that music had I not introed it? Absolutely not. Oh, my God. All right, you're about to get introduced to it. The real thing is coming. Sportsnet Canada is reporting that the NHL and ESPN have come to a rights deal for seven years that is going to put at least half of the Stanley Cup finals in that time on ESPN. But ESPN finally going to get back together with the NHL, finally get some popularity going back into the mainstream instead of having to find the NHL after the car auction show on NBC Sports Network. Or USA. Or USA or CNBC. I did watch a playoff game on CNBC one year, and that felt like a true scavenger hunt to get to what I was looking for. Now, now all uh, you have to do is go to their terrible, crappy ESPN Plus app. But at least we know where it's going to be. Oh, God, please don't let that be the case. All I know is that is the greatest theme music in National Hockey League history. It needs to be brought back at all times, every broadcast. Coach Joe on the other side. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. Let's go. It's Joe Esposito talking college basketball on Cofield and Company. Candy and JVT, no Cofield today, but still plenty of college basketball talk with our man, Coach Joe Esposito, who I understand is on vacation. And Joe, when I hear that, I just have visions that you're sitting back in a lounge chair somewhere with a fruity tropical drink, taking in the ocean breeze. Am I right? I wish I could. It's kind of cold out here in San Diego, but it is beautiful. The ocean's close. And I plan on taking my wife to a nice restaurant in Little Italy tonight and just enjoying San Diego. Great place to visit and uh, just getting away for the week. I love it. And when you're done with dinner, salt and straw for some good ice cream right down the middle of Little Italy, you're going to have a great time. All right. Let's hit it up here with the Mountain West Tournament. We've been kind of teasing it for a little bit on the show. Starts tomorrow, play-in round. Rebels taking on Air Force. Uh, Look, it's going to be a really interesting tournament, Joe, not just because we have so many competitive teams, but there are a whole lot of bubble questions around the Mountain West this year. Yeah, no question. It's going to be a crazy tournament 
for a lot of reasons. But, you know, that first day, Wednesday, the best game of the group is definitely the UNLV Air Force game. And, you know, UNLV has beat them twice. Last time they played, 69-64. And, uh, you know, it was a pretty good game. I mean, it took UNLV 56% from the field to beat Air Force. Now, Air Force is pretty bad. You know, they lost 12-13. and 13 And they were they 2-16 and 16 in their last 18 games. But, you know, there's a saying in college basketball and a saying in the coaching world that everyone knows it's tough to beat a team three times. And Air Force has got three seniors that do about 40% of their scoring. Junior uh, A.J. Walker has just got UNLV's number. I mean, he's going for about 57% from three, eight to 14. He's averaging 19 points a game against them. He had 20 and 18. So there is some things to be played for. Air Force obviously doesn't want to end their season. They've got a lot to pride, just the kind of character people that they are. The key to this whole game is 60. 60 is the magic number. When when UNLV holds somebody under 60, they're 8-0. And when the team goes over 60, they're 3-14. and 14. So if you ask me, the team to 60 is going to win that game on Wednesday. Joe, I'm curious. Last year we had a Wyoming team get pretty plucky, win two games in the Mountain West Tournament. Uh, who is that team this year potentially? You know, that it, I think Fresno. I mean, I, I think Fresno, I think they got New Mexico, who's already checked it in, and then they got Colorado State. And, you know, Colorado State lost their last game, you know, to Reno, and they, they're playing for an awful lot. You know, they're sitting about 50 in the net. Um, you know, they, they, they just – it's their, their schedules kind of hurt them. They got their 10 and overs, quad four, and one and overs, non-division one teams. And they played a lot of easy games. You look at Northern Arizona and Colorado State Pueblo and Northern Colorado. They've really got to win a game or two in this thing just to be safe because there's teams knocking on the door left and right. So I think Fresno's got a chance to maybe uh, go ahead and knock them off and then meet Utah State in the the Final Four of the uh, Mountain West Tournament. So right now, Joe, if we look at bracketology, we know that San Diego State is in. Boise and Colorado State sitting on the bubble right now. Utah State on the outside looking in, at least as Joe Lunardi has it here at the moment. When the Mountain West tournament's all said and done, which of those teams do you think gets in? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I'm going to tell you this. I think Reno is going to be the spoiler and going to knock Boise out. I just got a feeling. Um, oh, all right. You know, they swept them. I mean, they swept them during the year. And, you know, Boise now, and I'm, I haven't been a good big Boise fan all year, as you know. I said they were pretenders all year, not contenders. They're struggling lately. They've lost three in a row, um, you know, two to San Diego, obviously, but then they lost to Fresno, and that was a killer game for them, that quad four game. So the, the only thing they really have going for them on their resume is they beat BYU early, and Candy, you sure remember that game. So Unfortunately. I so. think Boise's not going to make it. I just don't think Boise's going to make it. I think they're going to get beat first round. Utah State, even though they finished second in the league, you know, I just I just don't feel them either, to be totally honest with you. I, I really think it could be, if Colorado State doesn't beat Fresno and doesn't win a game, it could be a one-bid league uh, once again because there's a whole lot of teams that are knocking on the door. When you look at teams like Michigan State and the Syracuses, and now Duke gets a win today, and if they can knock off Louisville, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. There's a whole lot going on in the college basketball realm right now. A couple teams that are probably in are facing off in just a few minutes here, BYU and Gonzaga. BYU needed overtime last night 
to get past Pepperdine. Uh, Gonzaga needed like 10 minutes uh, to get past St. Mary's. Do you think that BYU has any reasonable chance to win this game tonight against Gonzaga? You know, I really don't. I think, you know, BYU's only hope is their height. You know, they're one of the tallest teams in the country, and they're really going to take advantage of the side. You know, the Zags are really good. They're playing for a lot. I mean, they're playing to go undefeated and to go into the NCAA tournament undefeated. It's only happened to 15 schools. I mean, UCLA was done it four times with John Wooden, and Bobby Knight's done it two times when he was at Indiana. But, you know, they're looking to do that. The last time it's happened, Kentucky went undefeated into tournament in 2015. Um, I just, I just don't think they can beat him. I think Gonzaga is really just too good. Um, they've got so much going on, and you know, in that game, and you're in Vegas, you're talking about bets and what you should do. Man, I would take that under. I would take that under 155. I just think that it's going to be a lower scoring game. You know, the first time they played it was 71-82 under 153, 69-86 at 155. I just think BYU is a really good team. I think they'll perform well in the NCAA tournament. But I just don't think they have a chance to beat Gonzaga. I'm not sure I can go back to that well, Joe. I had the BYU under last night. And, of course, overtime, not the friend of the under better. Uh, let's talk about a team that you just mentioned. Uh, everyone in Vegas, of course, loves Duke, their favorite team. Uh, they get the win today. They are among a number of teams that have to show out this week in terms of the conference tournaments to to get in. I think Michigan State's in after the win over Michigan, but who do you think really has to have a big week this week in the conference tournaments to get themselves off the bubble and into the tournament? Well, you know, there's obviously I think the Mountain West is the biggest tournament that really needs a lot of movement. Um, but I do believe Michigan State has to win one more game. I think they've got to beat Maryland in that first game. You know, they finished strong at 5-2, and two, beating Michigan, beating Illinois, beating Ohio State. I think they're a team that needs one more win in their end. Syracuse is a team that is on the bubble. I think they've got a chance still. If they beat NC State, they got to play Virginia. Um, but I really like that ACC tournament. I like what could happen in that tournament. I've got a big-time upset pick in that tournament, and I hope you're sitting down because you're going to fall out of your chair. But let's just talk about Duke for a second. Duke's now 12-11. and 11, Okay, They're 60 on the net, so that's going to improve here after this game. You know, The problem with them is they lost those three in a row at the end. Louisville, Georgia Tech, and UNC. So they're going to have to make a run if they're even going to get close, and I don't think that's going to happen. I think Duke's going to be in the NIT. But the team that I like in the ACC tournament is Georgia Tech. I just think Georgia Tech is going to make a run. Now think about it. They're going to have to play Miami or Clemson. They'll win that game. They've already beaten Virginia once. They've got to play them, and then they're going to probably have to play Florida State. They just announced the top players in that league, you got Moses Wright, player of the year from Georgia Tech. You got Jose Alvarez, the best point guard in that league, also all conference. And you got a coach named Josh Beckner, who finally, allegations are gone. Everything's gone. He had that crazy situation with all these things thrown at him. He's finally coaching his team the way Josh Beckner can coach his team. I'm taking Georgia Tech in the ACC tournament. I don't think you're that crazy, Joe, to be honest with you. We've seen that Georgia Tech team up around the uh, 25-30 mark in the Kempom for much of the year. They, they've shown out that that's a team that uh, will probably cause some issues, not only in the ACC tournament, but maybe uh, in March as well in terms of madness. All right, Joe, we got a little bit of time left here. It's always great to get your awards for the week. What do you got for us? 
Well, you know, you got to love Appalachia State. They beat Georgia State. They're going to the NCAA tournament. And, and here's something. Georgia State was number one seed in that league. And traditionally, if you're a number one seed, you're going automatic to the NIT. But guess what, Georgia State? No NIT for you. Duke's taking your spot. You're going home. I'm really happy for Appalachia State. Good to see them in the Sun Belt go. UNC Greensboro, they win the SOCON. Happy for them. And then the two best games of the week, no question in my eyes, was Michigan State beat Michigan 70-64. And Houston, game winner versus Memphis, less than 1.7 seconds in the game. Memphis has got a foul to give Penny Hardaway. Hello, throw the ball inside, hit a three-pointer. They lose the game, tie game. They lose it by three. I think that was a devastating blow. And then the last thing, you just feel really bad for those two young men at Kansas. You know, the COVID protocol, you know, McCormick, somebody that can really help them. I mean, they're losing two players. They can't play in the the tournament. And uh, we're going to be really uh, surprised to see how that all unfolds, what team is going to have something with COVID related to the NCAA tournament that's going to hurt their chances. And we probably will see it. And last but not least, forget about little Richard Pitino because he's going to lose his job in Minnesota. But watch out for Rick Pitino. He got Sienna coming here. Last time he seen Sienna was in the NCAA tournament a bunch of years back. He's going to make a run. He's going to win that conference. And you're going to see Rick Pitino back in the NCAA tournament with the Iona Gales. The Iona Gales. I love it. I grew up right down the street from Iona. Let's let's get it going here with uh, Rick Pitino and the Iona Gales. He's our insider, Coach Joe Esposito. He's taken in the glory of America's finest city, or so they call it, San Diego. I hope you and the missus have a great time down there. We'll talk to you next week. I appreciate it, guys. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games. Great basketball time. Enjoy the games. Absolutely, man. Absolutely it is. We'll get into the grab bag when we come back. Finish it up here on Cofield and Company. But wait. But wait. Ari, did I fool you? Did you think I was going to forget? Not going to forget. Kind of teased everybody there for a second. It is time to give away our second Vegas Golden Knights prize package of the day. Jason was our winner earlier. The Vegas Golden Knights viewing party with Diversion Amusements, the coolest sports viewing venue in Vegas. Saturday, March 13th, Vegas Golden Knights taking on the St. Louis Blues. The only way to get in is to win. Winner gets a table for four, including free food, non-alcoholic beverages got to be 21 or over 364-1100-364-1100 caller seven to ari right now is the winner want more cofield and company the guys are back with their late night pod tonight at 10 30 watch at steve cofield on twitter or on youtube cofield and company presents grab bag don't touch it don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Pick your hand in there, Dave. JVT, Candy, wrapping it up here in the grab bag, Cofield and Company. Steve's back in tomorrow. I'll be with him after the UNLV basketball game. We will go from whatever time the Rebels and Air Force finish until 6 o'clock. Join us then. Stay with us right now, though. Five minutes from now, the TJ Otzelberger Coaches Show Running Rebels announcer John Sandler will lead you through that one. So stay tuned for Coach's thoughts on what's coming up in the Mountain West. Stick your hand in there, Dave. 
Mr. Von Tobel, I'm scrapping anything I had in the grab bag because I remembered something that you and I disagreed about when you were on yesterday on your hit that I want to get into a little bit more. Um, it sounds as though you think that once again, you are going to make some money betting on under the number of quarterbacks drafted in the first round. What What is your your working theory here on why the DraftKings prop, which is currently at four and a half, but I believe the under is at plus 400, is going to be profitable for you? Well, we've, we've seen that every year, right? Uh, every year since we've had draft betting here in Las Vegas, at least, uh, the, the quarterbacks in the first round prop has gone under all year except for one, and the one year was the Lamar Jackson year, and that ended up being a push uh, if you got the proper number on that. Uh, Adam, and we just – look, we have a tendency to overvalue quarterbacks in the grand scheme of things. Quarterbacks are very important, right? When we talk about team success, we overvalue them. But I also think that bleeds into our analysis of how teams approach the draft, right? Just because you or I or you know armchair pundit X would overreach on a quarterback does not necessarily mean – a team would reach on a quarterback. And so when I see a guy like a um, Mac Jones, right, who is by all accounts in some, I think it was CBS Sports who had him as the 44th ranked overall prospect, uh, pro football focus, had him outside of the top 32. Uh, there was uh, ESPN that had him, I think, 25th overall in terms of their big board. This is not a guy who I think teams are going to reach on, especially when you're getting in the back end of that draft territory. It's been logic that I have, you know, handicapped this prop every single year with, and it has been profitable. Last year, four quarterbacks go in the first round. Year before that, three. The year before that, that John just mentioned, was five with Lamar Jackson popping up there at the back. Uh, we talked to George Shahuri from PFF yesterday, and he said, and again, this is not like we're trying to make news and put a tweet out there that's going to go viral, but he said that, he has information that there is a franchise out there that absolutely will not let Mac Jones slip out of the top 10. Um, and if that were to be true, do you think we get to five? Like, do you think at that point that Trey Lance is a lock? Are there four quarterbacks who you think are locks to go in the first round? So my initial research, I thought Lance was going to be one of those. I, I And it's funny, even my original notes I put down, because I'm a draft nerd, so I really like this stuff. I I put I had three as locks. It was Fields, uh, it was Trevor Lawrence, and actually two as locks. Excuse me. And then I threw Lance in there. What's the fourth name? I'm forgetting here. Uh, Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson. Excuse me. Yes, Wilson was the third lock. And then I had Trey Lance on the outside of that as a most likely first round pick. So to your point, the more I have read on Lance, and this is what we do all the time too. By the way, which kind of feeds into my philosophy. Lance was a lock at the beginning of the year when you talked about it, right, with his physical body and all that stuff. But then the teams evaluate them and they realize, this is a project. I don't know if I want to do this. So I would say I don't think he's a lock anymore. I feel like we're at the point, though, where the way teams look at their quarterback position has evolved a lot. And that's why we've seen 12 of them go in the first round in the last couple of years. And I think there's this idea out there that is becoming more prevalent that if you don't have – the top 10 guy, if you have the middle tier Jared Goff kind of quarterback, that you're stuck in purgatory and that teams are more willing to take a swing at that. And that is, makes me think that someone out there is going to look at the bottom of the first round and say, I'm willing to trade back up. I'm willing to trade next year's three to go take a shot at him. That's why I think that 
there's a reasonable chance that we get five. Really quickly, my rebuttal would be, I think we also see that teams just got to the the postseason right on the fridge of it with nothing at quarterback in the Washington football team and the Miami Dolphins won 10 games or on the outside looking in. They won 10 games with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So if they're willing to go more of that vet route, I agree with you. Cofield back tomorrow. Thanks to JVT and Ari and our winner, Steve, in the VGK contest.